You're listening to Nourish, Nurture, Breathe, a podcast dedicated to women at all stages of our health and wellness journey. I'm Christy from Christy Lee Nutrition. And I'm Cammy from This Mum's Kitchen. And together, we're here to inspire you with the knowledge and confidence to love into your mind, body, spirit, and lifestyle. Now set aside some time for you and join us on this cup-filling journey. Welcome back to Nourish, Nurture, Breathe. This is episode 14 with Cami and Christy and we're going to be today talking with our first ever guest speaker on the podcast so that's really exciting and we've um, invited Dr. Ju Teo um, to come and talk to us about understanding IVF. So Ju has extensive experience as a specialist obstetrician and gynaecologist both here in Australia and in the UK. He also has a UK sub-specialisation in reproductive medicine and fertility and he was appointed to complete this programme in the UK at the Royal College which is a highly competitive national selection. Um, So he is an incredible expert and such a font of knowledge um, on this subject. While in the UK, Ju was also the chairperson for the National Trainees in Reproductive Medicine and Fertility. He has a doctorate research degree for his research in Glasgow and in Cambridge. And he is the author of heaps of scientific books, journals and also um, most recently a cookbook and health book and which was a collaboration project with me um, which is called what to eat a specialist guide to fertility and pregnancy and that's actually where um, Drew and I first met working on that project together and it's also the project that brought Christy and I together yeah yeah because we met at the book launch the book launch yeah. yep um, so it's a it's a lovely um, yeah it's a lovely I guess culmination of of that series of events to have Drew as our first guest um, speaker guest on this podcast. Um, so without further ado, we will welcome him him in and um, just remember to have your notepads out because you will definitely be wanting to write this stuff down. So in preparation for today's episode, we collected questions from our community about fertility and IVF so that we could ask Drew about the nitty gritty things that people want to know. And some of those that we will be covering today include when should you start to seek help with your fertility if you're having trouble conceiving? Um, What are some of the major factors that men and women um, should be considering that might cause difficulty in falling pregnant? Where would be the best place to start if you feel like you need help with your fertility? How men in the relationship can be of support during the fertility journey? What some of the other factors um, worth considering are so things like stress, um, support, and um, we'll be finishing on a bit about IVF and what's involved in that process. And because it's quite a stressful time for couples, what some what are some of the stress management techniques that um, that Drew would recommend that we we could be trying. So let's dive in. So welcome, Drew. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. 
So obviously you and I met, um, oh gosh, over a year and a half ago now, I think, mm. when we started working on your book, What to Eat, A Specialist Guide to Fertility and Pregnancy, which we will, of course, link to in the show notes. Um, but what really sort of, um, I guess, connected us on a professional level was how you draw on both your professional background, which is really ample, but also your own personal story with IVF into how you help clients and, and sort of form this more holistic approach. So perhaps it'd be a good place to start if you could share um, a little bit about that, about your, your professional background, but also your personal one and, um, and how those sort of combine together in your approach with clients. Sure, I think there are two parts of the questions. Uh, number one is professional background. So um, as you know, I'm a trained obstetrician and gynecologist with a special subspecialist training in the UK um, in reproductive medicine and surgery, i.e. look at how early pregnancy is forming and subsequently with a healthy baby growing inside and delivery towards later on. So starting rewinding all the way back to when I finished my medical school at that time, I really still had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because in medicine, there are so many specialist fields, or you can be a generalist to do different things. So I was toying with different ideas. I really like science, and uh, especially with growing cells and human, how people are formed, what's the genetic behind it, etc., yeah. etc. Et so I stumbled, um, well, I took the initiative to to speak to the uh, consultants, specialists and professors at that stage and visited fertility clinics and IVF lab and looking after pregnancy. So I, in, you know, after the first few visits, I thought, look, this is what I wanted to do. I was amazed by the science be- behind it, how a man and women, a couple get pregnant and or, or and if not, how do we help that process? Um, and also the science in the lab and what do we do with the little embryos, nurturing the embryos eventually, hopefully grows into a baby. So I was totally amazed by that. And from then on, I thought, look, I want to be a good uh, obstetrician and gynecologist. Mm-hmm. So I never looked back for the past 18, 19 years, so still, um, so, um, it, you know, still in the same field, essentially, doing the same job, but I still love it. Yeah. And there are always new things um, developing in the forefront of the scientific forefront and also in, in, also in lifestyle and different things, what we do and people starting to, you know, what we say usually is like science eventually catch up with what we common sense tell us is what is good. Mm-hmm. So lifestyle and diet is incorporating into, that's why, you know, we are here today because we have the common interest to say, look, it's not only what we can give medicine and everything. Yes, it is important, but you need to incorporate everything in terms of what we can do, try our best to improve the chance. So that's the professional background and um, in terms of you know helping in the field of fertility, big part of it could be IVF and, um, and um, pregnancy care in this station, gynecology surgery related to this field as well. Personal story, actually, I myself and my wife, Chi, who's not here today, we have gone through fertility IVF treatment ourselves. So like everybody else at that time, my daughter's eight years old now, um, a cheeky one. And, um, <laughs> totally gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, um, um, yeah, at that time, like everybody else, you know, although I was in the field, then, you know, you don't think of yourself. You do look after patients, you empathize them, but you don't have that experience. 
which is fine. Many doctors don't have that experience, but professionally, they are. We we have seen enough patients. If we can empathize with them, and then you know, you, you know what they're going through. But for me personally, we have gone through that process, mm-hmm. just like anybody else trying for a while and decided to do some tests. And at the meantime, that time I realized being kind of middle tier or junior middle tier trainee doctors at mm. time was quite busy. I was busy doing research as well into placenta, ironically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we found out we haven't got pregnant for quite a while, did a few tests here and there, eventually uh, being told, look, you know, the highest chances uh, or realistic chances by doing IVF and XC. So we decided to go for it. So, um, I mean, lots of millions of people get IVF nowadays. What I'm trying to say is nothing is without risk. No matter what you do, there are potential side effects and risks. They can be very rare, very, mm. very uncommon, but it can happen. So, um, and at that time, it's like, it's, I guess it's timing, you know, you, sometimes you have a low time in your life. Um, but I always look at the brights. I, I always look at the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. I always look forward. But it can still be very hard. So that time, um, looking back, it was winter in Glasgow in Scotland. It's pretty icy that year. And uh, my wife went through IVF like everybody else. We get we use um, injections. So I, I had an idea. But my, my wife is not in this area, her specialty. She's a doctor too. So we kind of both do it together while looking after ourselves, lifestyle. And it's still hard when you're working at that time. You have obligations to look after other patients and uh, doing research in my case. Um, yeah, she went to IVF and then that time because of waiting list in NHS, you know, it was my time to have operation on my knee that time. So I thought, look, it's fine. I've seen lots of IVF patients are fine. So when, so both of us got kind of operation in the way. And a few weeks later, we were waiting for results for IVF. And one morning she woke up um, being so unwell, like, you know, rolling in the floor, on mm. the floor with pain. So I thought, look, in my head, you know, all those rare cases, actually one of the ovary got twisted because of uh, IVF treatment. Mm. So we can, we see them um, very rarely, um, like one in many, a few thousand cases. So, but when she had that, I got it in my mind, said, look, this is torsion. So we called ambulance, brought her to hospital. To cut the story short, uh, you know, a few days later, she, she lost her ovary. Um, and that time you not thinking, you know, you, you probably the time was like, look, forget about baby and, uh, and IVF. You just look, I want her because she was so unwell. Mm. You just say, look, I want you to get better quickly. And we just move on. Doesn't matter. Forget about this. But, uh, in the way we were very lucky. And, uh, after operation, a few days later, she had an ultrasound scan. We started to see the heartbeat and we, mm. we became hopeful again. So, okay, we should recover well, try our best. And uh, thankfully, that pregnancy maintained. So, um, uh, because sometimes there's so much inflammation ongoing, there's a high risk of miscarriage as well. But again, thankfully, that pregnancy continued on and uh, went on with pregnancies. There were other things in pregnancies. Uh, sometimes you go to the textbook, you know, they say doctors are more prone. I don't know, of course, it's just a saying. Doctors are more prone to getting all the textbook descriptions. Mm. So placenta being low, bleeding, high blood sugar. So we had almost everything. So, but uh, eventually she had a natural birth at, uh, yeah, with, with a healthy baby. So um, that's our daughter, Eva. Yeah. So that's my personal story. So when I see patients professionally and 
and uh, feeling wise in terms of empathizing and sympathizing say look you know i can imagine what you're going through it has you have that idea so and also you use the experience to 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 help patients as well for example recently I have a patient with similar story she's nine weeks pregnancy pregnant and doing pretty well and she got this pain on and off for for a little while we were keeping close eye and she had ivf and one morning she went to ed emergency department say look she had loads of pain that day and she was uh she was rolling on the floor she vomited in, in you know immediately in my mind look we know this is what we have been watching out for but this is what my wife has gone through mm. so i told her look i'm going to bring you to theater today so actually i brought her straight in without further delay and i you know the ovary, ovary got safe because we went in oh, early wonderful. enough yeah so she's fine she's in her late pregnancy now mm. so based on that you, you look at her you know i know look this very highly likely could be ovary torsion i don't want to wait because mm. if you wait too long without blood flow to the ovary she could have lost the ovary mm. i say look on balance i'm gonna bring it to theater straight away so i untwisted the ovary and punctured a few cysts and she did very well so yeah. based on this you can see how professional and personal combined and uh, makes you a bit more more sensitive to patients to say look you know what are we going through it's not just science what we need to talk about is how do we do you support each other do you have enough support do you know what we are you know the instructions are are you you know do, do you understand them how do you look for help do we need to involve um allied health like from both of you to see how to improve the early pregnancy mid, mid pregnancies and deliveries and after delivery so this combination as mentioned is two parts of the story but if you combine them together hopefully we are good healthcare for all of us we are good yeah. healthcare workers to look after other people and ourselves that's yeah. what really, really struck me when we first met yeah. Ju. Was it was just that really heartfelt approach to yeah. the whole journey, and I and I just I just find that to be so perfect in the fact yeah. that, of course, it is an extremely medical and extremely specialised process, and and there's so much science that goes into that, but it's also an extremely human one, mm. and. Um, and that's what I think is really, really special about your approach and about what comes out in yeah. the book and what people learn from that as well. So thank you for joining us. Mm. And we're really excited to get into the if questions. I could, if I could add anything, because I've worked with some of Jew's clients before yeah. and every single lady that comes through the door just goes, oh my God, he's so nice. He's so lovely. His bedside manner. I haven't met an obstetrician like mm. him before. So... I haven't told you that before. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thanks for letting me know. But yeah, it, you know, um, I do. I get such wonderful feedback all I the time. I think it's dedication as well. For example, I saw a patient this morning with rare cases. You don't see some complicated story behind it. And then, you know, I told her all the options, what we can do. And I didn't miss one very important one because it's so rare. You don't think about it. And it's not really straightforward for you to link different things. For example, uh, for this case, to be... Um, if if patients go into fertility treatment, essentially you boost their hormone levels, mm -hmm. estrogen or something. You want to the lining to be a bit thicker. So um, and also, um, and sometimes they might release one or two eggs to you know. That's why it's a risk of twins or more babies. You always explain to patients. But the kind of story short, essentially, 
that patient had a condition where estrogen level, for example, one example is patients, for example, with breast cancer in the past, you don't want the estrogen to be too high, um, before, you know, unless it's in the future, maybe there are different approach, but let's say, look, just finished breast cancer, or before breast cancer, patients come and say, look, I want to free some eggs before my radio chemotherapy, which could destroy eggs, mm. the ovarian reserve. So you give them treatment, but to lower the hormones, you can give drugs called letrozole femara. So essentially, you create the eggs, but you lower the estrogen levels to stop the effect. But, you know, you don't use this very commonly, and the patient I saw, it wasn't really strictly, it's not breast cancer, so I wasn't thinking about it. So we talked about different options. But I was trying, you know, when you have this passion, you're thinking about, you look back, you think about your job a little bit, um, in a way, you need to get a good balance so that you can look after yourself, your family. But at the same time, you have that dedication and passion on it. So I was mm. driving, I was like, look, why did I not talk about letters all this morning? So I end up calling her back, saying, look, yeah. I, you know, we, we talk about many, many things, but one very important thing I'm going to add on. So it's that, yeah, in a way that look at other people, look at ourselves and say, look, yeah, if you think of something important, why not just discuss again? So it never ends when you see a patient, you know, it doesn't end there. Um, but like you say, you know, mm. you want to think of what more can we do, how, what other help we can get from different, different people and never, never be afraid to ask when, because as I mentioned, I'm still learning, we're all still learning different things. Looking back, you say, writing books, you know, I've written different medical journals books in the past, but when coming in to write a good um, books for patients and the public and recipes, good diet and such, that's why I look for help, Cammy. Mm -hmm. That's why you were so helpful to me. Oh, thanks, Yeah, Steve. professionally. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have lots of questions that have yeah. come from our community. So, yeah. and some of the ladies that listen in, and the men, we do have a couple yeah. of men that are listening, they don't know a lot about fertility treatment mm. and don't really know when it would be the right time to come and see a fertility specialist. Sure. So what would be the, the situation um, that someone would be in when they would need to come and see someone like yourself? Sure. Now, before I start, fertility is not written in stones. I usually explain to patients, it's not like you have a, a lump which you have to excise or cut it off essentially. Because getting pregnant is fluid, and what we're talking about is chances and we, by doing research in science and everything, even lifestyle and diet and everything, we are talking about percentage and chances and such. So I always tell my patients it's, it's not written in stones. So usually internationally, what we think is if um, a woman is um, 35 years or below and um, and they have no immediate concern, you know, for example, regular periods, they're healthy, partners healthy, no problems, to say, look, try for a year. Why do we use a year? Because in about a year, about eight, if you look at a man and a woman having regular intimacy without contraception, about 85% would get pregnant. So, you know, if someone trying, of course, difference, if someone is higher age group or there are things they realize, look, I don't have a period or there's something someone told me, I might affect my fertility. It's a different story. You want to look for help a bit earlier. But, you know, but usually, yeah, where do you draw the line? You don't want to say, look, someone trying for two months and then go for fertility advice and treatment. That's kind of okay. We are too early there. Mm -hmm. and um, But, yeah, we think, look, 85% is good enough to at least to start or near, nearly a year or around a year to start looking at do some basic investigations. So that's kind of used arbitrary as a cutoff one year. Certainly, if anything else, higher age group, maybe six months or sooner. Yeah. yeah. 
So we've just mentioned age, so that's obviously mm. one of the the major factors. Mm. Um, can you talk us through the age factor and also other sort of major factors to mm. consider for both the, the women and the men? Sure. Um, just like anything in the body, age does affect the function and the potential of many things in the body. So we are focusing on fertility here. Um, number one, the most, most obvious is the egg quantity and quality. So essentially, a woman with is born with a set number of eggs, and every month the body will use up a good number. If it's a good reserve, they might use even up to 10, 15, or even more every month. Mm -hmm. So although only one ovulation, but you recruit, there are much more than one. Essentially, that one is a winner. Mm -hmm. So over time, the numbers got less, and somehow when the numbers got less, the quality drops as well. So that's the, the most obvious um, thing we notice. Other things, of course, the environment in the womb and everything, and including men, sperm quality, the DNA integrity, or we call DNA fragmentation, that means you know, the kind of damage or irregularity in DNA will start to increase even for men. Now, in terms of lifestyle, diet and everything, um, it, it can, Perhaps not always, of course, it can help to slow things down a little bit or it can accelerate things. For example, we know smoking. I always tell my patients, easy say it, easiest way to say it's not good for your sperm and your eggs, essentially, mm. because it does um, damage some of a good number of them and your body has to repair mm. or in that way that, uh, or, you know, where the eggs, when the quality is dropping faster, you're using more eggs or some part of the ovary is being affected, then you can't replace that. Um, so yeah, many things being affected, including as mentioned for men, the function, the sperms and different things. Um, for women, be the environment and the egg quality and quantity. So it's unfortunately, it's not something we can reverse. We can slow it down by certain measures, try as much as we can. But yeah, it's still we haven't found a good way to reverse the scientists and doctors doing different things. But up to this stage, we still haven't got a major, major breakthrough as yet. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes there's just some things you can't change. It's it's nature, I guess. As we age, where slowly everything's breaking down, and there's wear and sure. tear that comes with years on on this earth. Sure. Yeah. There there are things in life we can't change. We have to find what ways acceptable mm. acceptable to us. What we, what more we can do to optimize the chance and improve it or slow it down. But sometimes, and sometimes you don't find any reason, you know, like you have people who are relatively younger and healthy lifestyle, the family pretty healthy as well. And you know, unfortunately, um, the, you know, the sperm quality is low or the egg quality is low and such. So sometimes you don't, yeah, you don't find a reason. Sometimes you do, you can reverse it because there's something that very clearly say, look, there's something we can reverse it, for example, lack of hormones or something, or to, you know, or PCOS or anything. You can try to balance up by lifestyle and by treatment and different things to say, look, we can improve the outcome, but sometimes you can't, just anything in life. I think look, illness, sometimes what we can do to prevent mm -hmm. it. So number one, what we can do is try our best, prevent it, um, make us healthy, you know, so likewise our patients, um, I give them advice. But yeah, it, it could be the case where you have to take it what, as what it is sometimes. And as you were saying, so if someone has been trying 
and they're say they're under 35 and it's yeah. been over a year yeah. do you recommend that they come straight to a fertility specialist or should they see their gp first or, or what where do you think people should start um most people in australia will start seeing gp and then gp will um depending of course if you know if if they give a story to say look there's something more then the, many gps will be very happy to do some tests um, or some of them will say, look, actually, you know, let's let's go to fertility centers where they have all the equipments and tests and uh, facilities and connections where they can do a comprehensive test for you. Um, often they don't wait too long after GP. They might go to GP, do a few tests, and then after reviewing, usually they will seek further help. The next step uh, will be to see a fertility center or gynecologist, um, or if they have um, they want advice for. For um, lifestyle healthcare, then I will ask them to see allied health um, team. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so, what does the process look like, Jude? If 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 a couple decides to embark mm. on the IVF process, mm. what can they expect? Uh, firstly, before jumping to IVF, so if I see any patients, like what you know, what we have been talking about, take a story, get a story from them. How long they've been trying any illness and family? What are the periods like? Um, and then for men regarding their health, have they ever been pregnant before, any infection? So there are different stories, background, you get it, and then you um, do organize tests. So routine tests, I would say, look for women who have ultrasound scan um, to look at the womb, the ovaries, um, make sure the shape looks okay, is anything we, we should be worried about. And then for men, you check sperms as well, i.e. what's the volume, how many sperms, um, usually millions, um, and are they swimming, what's the shape like. It's very hard to make that perfect shape sperms. We're only looking for 4%. Mm. But we have that, when you have that a few, that means that the mechanism or the, you know, the process is going rather well. So it's kind of a, a little arbitrary benchmark you draw. And then um, antibodies, DNA. Some people look a bit, uh, you know, look for a bit more. But mainly other sperms. You can look for other things a bit more. For women, like the story, are they ovulating? They tell you, look, my periods are regular. Mostly, if someone got a clockwork um, a period and always on time, well, plus minus a few, two, three days, yeah. then usually they're ovulating. But you can always check. There are always apps. There's always sticks you can buy from mm. uh, buy from pharmacy or somewhere. But it only works 50% of a couple or women trying to check the ovulation. For some people, it works perfectly. They always have some sign. They know, look, I'm ovulating or I'm about to ovulate. But for a... For many people, it's just not that straightforward. They use the sticks, the hormones, the app. It's just always, you know, not sure all over the place or not accurate. Um, Are they accurate, those tests, or do you recommend something different? It depends. Well, patients, when patients use it, I would not say stop it. You know, if they say, look, definitely we're sure. To confirm it, the most accurate test is doing a, blood t doing a series of blood tests because that's kind of more a tighter measurement mm -hmm. so for them who are we are providing this i'll say look can you please combine that with your your method and see whether it makes sense if it makes sense your method combined with blood test makes sense then it's more give us a bit more confidence to say look it works for this month so next month it might should be the same whereas if it's you know you find out your the, the app or your hormone your own test different things it's not really telling a true story then we will be a bit more careful to say that whatever you have been doing may not be 
telling the true story. Mm. So from there as well. And other things you can check will be a um, you do hormones just to see whether they are balanced at the right time. You check ovarian reserve as well. We talked mm. about it. You can do it either by ultrasound scan or by doing this uh, protein called AMH, anti-malarian hormones. So it gives us an idea what's the quantity. It doesn't tell, tell you the quality. So you guess the quality. by. But often if the um, quantity, the numbers are very low, that may affect the quality as mm. well. But mind you, recent studies showed that even uh, with a low AMH, there's still a good chance of natural pregnancy. So it doesn't mean that you definitely need fertility treatment. Um, but it gives us an idea, about a rough idea about time frame, what are we expecting in different things. Um, and then you go on, you can do a tubes check because tubes are very important to bring the, you know, the sperms have to go through the tubes and the eggs come in from the other end, mm-hmm, or the mm-hmm. other fimbrae end or the end that closer to the ovary. So fertilization actually happens in the tube. So for any reasons, if both tubes are blocked, it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. The sperms can't get to the egg. No matter how much sperms you have, yeah. you got the best egg. If there's truly no connection, then natural pregnancy conception is going to be hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of clients that assume it's the woman you know mm. i get a lot of ladies come in and they, and mm. they feel that it's it's pro- the problem probably lies with them mm. but in your experience and and with this the research mm. that you've done how often is it actually a combined um effort of the man and woman or it is just the man or it's just the woman do you have much stats around that yes um if you look at internationally you know for fertility feel about one third actually is men for you know this is yeah the sperm quality or the activity of sperms different things so fertility some people think obsangani fertility is just a female or women's feel um but actually a big part of it is men like i do you know i do give men health advice i do we do check their sperms we do operations to, for, for me um, to try to get sperms or what we do can optimize sperm so pregnancy actually at least in the beginning man plays i think as important as uh, you know as the as female as women or female as well so men um, male and female so um, yeah it's, it's strictly speaking especially for me uh, somehow people known me as more male um, part of me put a strong emphasis on male fertility and improve men's health as well so actually that's a great part of my work mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. one third you know one in three is caused by men one in three is by women and among that inside that is a cohort of always a mixture and actually one third is we call unexplained so we do all those checks or basic tests we have talked about we haven't found a reason mm-hmm. there are many tests in the horizon some of them are more complicated is it immunology immune cells is it genetic compatibility there are different researchers some of them are quite promising but we of course just like anything else we're waiting for you, you always have more and more advances so five years time or three four years time you might be talking different the unexplained part will be become smaller because you have more tests to more specifically checking for different things so but at the moment roughly a quarter to one third is still unexplained Mm. And so when you're working with specifically mm. the men in the relationship, or, or yeah. I wonder if it's if it's the same practices, when you're looking at things from a lifestyle point mm. of view, what, what are we looking at? We've talked about reducing um, or eliminating smoking. Mm. Um, what, what else can people be doing on a lifestyle, holistic 
um, side of things. Sure. Firstly, look at what are what is there anything that obviously affecting our chance of getting pregnant? So um, it could be medications, uh, prescription and abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, yeah, um, it could be alcohol, could be smoking. We talk about smoking. And uh, any other factors at all, uh, sometimes just our occupation as well, you know, cyclists, tight pants all the time, hard training, competitive sports. If you're pushing your body too hard, the body shut off your fertility to say, look, I, what I need is is, uh, is to survive this uh, hard pushing yeah, to go audio. through it. <laughs> so uh, essentially the hormones can get shut off. Um, so we look for things. That, that's why from the story, you want to check, look, is there something that... Um, a that can affect a, a fertility and other and of course if you find nothing okay you know what's our general lifestyle um usually chronic stress most people will find a way to deal with it in a way your body wise to say look you know i need to cope that with that chronic stress and i, I you know if it, un, unless it's very very bad mm-hmm. otherwise your body will say look yep um i'm gonna get used to it i'm gonna ovulate anyway and and things like that but acute stress, sometimes anything happens within that few months can affect fertility. You might hear stories that with bereavement or anything sad or anything too exciting happens, then the period can stop for a few months or even traveling and things. So, um, yeah, we look at that. We say, look, okay, you know, we have um, out rule or make sure there's nothing affecting. And then, okay, our lifestyle, can we do anything to improve? We do what we can. You know, it's very hard to... To be like I myself, I'm not perfect. Sometimes can get carried away by family, by immediate family, extended family, by your job, by your hobbies or different things. You forget about okay, you know, we need to look after ourselves, exercise and different things. So moderate exercise definitely, definitely very good. Um, diet and you go for healthy diet as in the book we mm-hmm. wrote about Mediterranean diet i.e. lots of antioxidants, fruits, vegetables less um, the unhealthy fat um, and you know not too much unhealthy carb and different things, sugar so it does improve the chance of getting pregnant stress is the one easier said than done, how do you reduce stress but there are many ways, you know some people thought by doing certain activities, they feel more relaxed. Um, hobby, mm-hmm. healthy hobby, exercise, mm-hmm. socializing, talk to people, family, counseling. Mm, meditation. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yoga. Certainly, you know much more than yeah. me, <laughs> and, uh, and that's why I encourage patients to you know to get help from Airlight Health uh, Health Team diet as well um and uh you know, like we talk about how do we get the best diet again i'm i know the principle as you can see but you know the dig, digging a bit deep in for example if someone looking for design a diet or to look how do we help them with the diet in terms of preparation and what to do so definitely i get more help from both of you here um sleep again you know it can be hard if uh if uh, you're on shifts, working five, four different things, keep changing the environment can be hard as well. But we try, as I mentioned, you know, you don't want to put too much pressure and say, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that when you're in front of patients because mm-hmm. it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. They end up going out like crying and say, look, this doctor just telling me to do impossible stuff. Mm-hmm. So we have to be realistic in what we have in life and say, look, what can we do to actually... Uh, improve of what we can for you so it's, you know we, you advise them or you tell ask them to tell you what you can do they often they think about it they tell you themselves it's like a prompt 
and uh, and yeah, every little helps. And hopefully that by itself then, and some patients by doing different things, they get healthier, they get pregnant naturally um, and have a healthy baby, essentially. Mm. And with mm. IVF, because I think that that's, um, that's a question I get a lot because mm. it, not a lot of people know about mm. what happens with IVF. So yeah. when someone's experiencing that, what are some yeah. of the... Um, treatments and uh, medications and, and I guess the experience that they're about to go through. Yeah, um, essentially before that, you want to prepare to make sure look we are ready for it. Everything is being looked at. Um, we improve what we can, including environment inside the womb. For example, some patients got fibroid or polyp or endometriosis. You might want to treat that by medications, by lifestyle or by doing sometimes operation. Mm. So when we are ready, okay, we do. Essentially, the... What we are doing here with the science is pushing the what body do routinely or you can say naturally. So we are pushing the boundary a little bit. So essentially, if you think we want to create a healthy baby, what we need is healthy sperm, right? We need a, a healthy egg. And we want, the, you know, they, they will form embryos. So if they're healthier, you look after the embryos well, they create they, 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 the quality tend to be better and that somehow can affect the genetic as well, how they form the genetic in a very early stage. And then the embryo, we want them to be nurtured in a good environment, which is the womb. Well, initially first few days in the lab, eventually in the womb. Mm. So sperms for men, you get sperms. Try your best to get the best quality sperms, either naturally or by doing operations. So sometimes I have to do that. For women, usually every month the body releases one egg. You can use that one egg to treat, um, but you know, in most centers, especially in Australia, I mean, it does involve costing and different things as well. We tend to give drugs to get more than one. So at one go, you get rather than one egg, you, you want to get much more than that. And Could is that an oral drug, J or an injection? Most injection will mm. be stronger because hormones are proteins, you know. So you eat the protein, your body digests them, the protein doesn't work anymore. So those hormones actually they're present in the body naturally, but of course you give a higher dose um, in multiple times. So by doing that, so rather than using one egg and the rest go to waste, because there's no only enough hormones for one egg eventually. So you use that hormone to recruit all the eggs you initially recruited to, mm -hmm. to get them all in. So rather than have one egg and wasting 15 or 10 eggs, you hopefully get 8 or 10 eggs or 11, 12 in one go. So you create those eggs, you, you give hormones to grow them in the ovary. Um, generally, there are different techniques, of course. Um, and then when it's time, you can collect them. You, a little needle will go into the ovaries and suck them all out. You look after the eggs and you use sperms to fertilize, either by normal IVF, where you put loads of sperms around one egg, mm -hmm. or you can do ICSI ICSI if you need to, inject a sperm into the egg. And then you watch them, hopefully they fertilize. Not all eggs will fertilize, some of them don't. Um, generally about two-thirds should fertilize with good mature quality eggs. Um, and then, yep, you watch them, you look after them. And this is a science very important. Technology and science is important as well in the lab. You want to look after the embryos really well mm -hmm. to give them the best chance. So, um, so we try to mimic or you create the environment of the womb um, with, you know, different fluid, different pH, different temperature, different gas and oxygen, carbon dioxide mixture, different things. Um, and then, yep, hopefully you get some good quality embryos. 
when the environment is right in the womb, the right hormones, right balance, patients feeling all right, you can put back the embryos, usually one by one um, at a time. You can do a fresh transfers or sometimes any surplus or when if it's not a, the right time, you can freeze the embryos and uh, thaw them out and put it back in the future, hopefully grows into a healthy baby. Mm. That, mm. Yeah. So with all of this, so there's mm. the injections of the hormone, like you mm. have the hormone or the um, ovulation stimulation. Yeah. What kind of symptoms or um, changes can the woman expect to experience during that time? The major worry will be hyperstimulation. It's like throwing a dart. It's mentioned if you get a bit more eggs, then you have more eggs to, to, uh, to work with. Um, usually in one cycle you might thinking look let's aim for between 8 to 11 or 12 eggs that's a, a good balance sometimes you get more sometimes you get less um, if you know a body can only give up one or two or even five then it could be it you can use the highest hormone levels but if there's a limit there's a limit mm -hmm. sometimes but if you can then you aim for as mentioned 8 to 12 you design the dose based on patient's story. If they have had IVF or stimulations in the past, you look at their response to see how they reacted. Um, and look at their body weight, their ovarian reserve, you design the dose. But it's like throwing a dart. We are aiming for the bullseye, which is let's say look 10. Mm. Sometimes you get less and sometimes you get more. But the aim is to get as tightly, as close to that center point as possible. But the worry is sometimes some women, you thought, look, okay, I'm expecting to get 10 eggs. Then, they, you know, with stimulation, they got 30 eggs or something. Mm, wow. So sometimes even before collection, you can predict by looking at ovaries, how big they are and things like that. And with the newer uh, way of doing things, you can design a hormone which is less risk of getting severe hyperstimulation. So most patients will feel a bit bloated and ovaries get a bit big in various degrees. But the very high one is, is you know, diagnosed hyperstimulation, something we're trying to avoid and we should avoid. And what would they be feeling if they had hyperstimulation? Yeah, essentially they got so, dis, you know, so bloated, so distended, they feel very unwell. Serious ones have to go to hospitals mm. because they can't even breathe and the fluid in the, in the body and sometimes you can go to the lungs. It's terrible, it's terrible. So we should, you know, we should be very careful of that and be mindful of using drugs which can avoid which is the newer ways of doing things. It's more popular in UK and Europe. Here, sometimes I find I myself use a bit more than some other practitioners to avoid hyperstimulation. Other things, uh, short term, of course, you never know how does hormones affect each individual's. It's just, uh, you just don't have a very strong pattern. Can it affect the mood? Some yes, some not. Um, skin changes and different things. So some people do say they have different side effects, but often they're short-lived. Mm. Longer term from IVF to drugs uh, hasn't been proven to cause any major long-term problems. That's, mm -hmm. that's from kind of data from millions and millions of women. So this is what I tell patients. Yeah, mm. wonderful. There's a lot that goes on. It sounds like for the woman, you mm. know, it really, what, I think you said in the beginning, it's very much in, in the early stages about the man and then it, I guess mm. through IVF it becomes all about the woman and you've got the general anesthetic when you're um, collecting the eggs and through you know the hormones that she needs to take as well. So there's probably a lot of stress during this time and I imagine IVF is quite a big decision for couples to, to make. Um, do, do you have any advice for women around this time, what they can do to um, be supported during this process? 
yes, it is a process to go through, and some faster than others. Some women, you know, a few weeks pregnant first time, and uh, come back next year another baby. So they got eight embryos there. Each time they come back, they got a baby, and then they still got many embryos sitting there waiting for them. So for them, it's relatively easier. I'm sure you have heard some patients going through fertility and IVF, multiple multiple mm-hmm. cycles, hundreds and thousands of injections. Not hundreds of thousands, but <laughs> hundreds and maybe reaching a thousand or something of injections, um, years, and finally they have a healthy baby. It's amazing with story like that. But yes, it is a story. I think number one is preparation. You need to tell the patients, look, you know what we're expecting is you may be successful in one cycle. Or even more cycles. You want to be realistic and be truthful about the chance as well. If they have something you thought look, the chance is much lower compared to others, you need to let them know what we are going to, what kind of chances or percentage we are looking at, so mm-hmm. that they are not having this false hope. So mm-hmm. it's just to let them know the the truth, the true numbers, and also let them know it's a process. Let them know we're here to support them. They have counselling. And is there anything we can do to help them? And you're quite right. Mostly physically, it's um, the woman going through because it's just designed that way. It's hard to get to get eggs, and eventually, the woman is the one that carry the pregnancy and the baby. Um, apart from some men who has to go through, gone, you know, to go through operations to get sperms. But most men is the physically is the, is the easy easiest part. But psychologically, it's hard to know. Um, they're always just saying men don't speak up what they feel inside and such. So it's hard to know, you know, as I mentioned, one third male factor, do they, do they feel guilty or do they feel like myself when we're going through, I did feel guilty. I say, look, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's because of me or this and that. So I'm sure men and women have that kind of feeling as well to say, look, you know. So I think eventually it's communications. With, there's, there can be a lot of frustrations because ups and downs, ups and downs, everything, you know, you got times you're really hopeful, times you're really scared, mm. times where you're not sure, times you're really down when the result's negative and uh, do you want to go again? You make the decision, you speak to the doctor, the team, your relatives. So, um, uh, yeah, men do, I think look, as a couple, definitely if they, if they come as a couple, then you know you look them as look at them as one unit. Mm. They, they should you should support both of them, and um, often I see couple do support each other as well. Yeah. Yeah, and um, if someone wasn't happy with what was happening in their mm. fertility journey, if they weren't mm. getting the results that they were looking mm. for, would you recommend that um, they would see another specialist? Do you think that's a good idea? It's always no harm in getting a second opinion. There are pros and cons. The good side is if you get a good centre, you know they've got good technology, they, you know they've got professional team, well-experienced doctor. The things they have, they, they know how your last few cycles were going they give you a truthful truthful discussion and then if they plan you know they get a story there as well they might design something to say look can we tweak and tune something to improve the the chances of the success rate um but never be afraid to get a second second opinion so many of my you know my patients actually they come to me for second opinion and then after that they might say look actually thank you Ju." Um, I just confirmed that you know what you say makes sense, and what my last 
doctors for the same or different centers what they, whatever they say makes sense and I'm I'm going back to them so that we get that continuity which mm-hmm. is totally fine I'm totally happy to to look at different things to get advice so yes yeah, no harm to get a second opinion or some of course swap over says I want to try different technology so patients should be told what technology each lab or you know different things we use is there anything new we would think of anything new we want to try mm-hmm. um, or is it, is it a different approach and such so um, yeah depending I think look to start with it's okay to go for one or two second opinions and then if you think look you're comfortable you got the best you think you have got the best in the old one then just it's a repetition carefully is important as well so you might say look let's do that or if you think, look, yep, it's time to swap, then you can swap over. So there's no one fixed answer, but I would say, look, hey, no harm in getting a second opinion. Mm. And yeah. and if people did want to come in and find yeah. you, Ju, and, and yeah. book an appointment with you, how would yeah. they go about that and where would they find you? Uh, well, as mentioned, I do different options guiding in fertility, but focus is on early pregnancy, fertility, miscarriage and uh, pregnancy cares. Many of my patients are, yeah, I think this, this is a very interesting story. To mention, many of my patients are quite anxious because they somehow many of them have gone through multiple miscarriages or fertility treatment, um, or you know previous pregnancy experience wasn't what they were expecting. So they, they when when they see me, the, the anxiety level usually is quite high, mm-hmm. and you know I tell them, look, this is expected because of what happened in the past, and um, and yeah, you, know, you keep a close eye, keep supporting, do what you can in terms of giving. Um, professional um, help um, you know what you can do and also emotionally as well just let them know look this is normal many of my patients in fact most of my patients feel this way and you see them over time when you see that beautiful baby keeps growing mm. looks okay and you reassure them and I see them very often some of them want to speak to me every few days they see me every week I'm you know I'm open say look if it makes you feel better which is important come see me next week and if you need to see me a few days, I try to squeeze you in, you know, open extra cleaning. Or sometimes Saturday, I see someone just to go through things and say, are you feeling okay? Yeah. Look at your babies, how beautiful it is. And it makes them feel better. And it's good for the pregnancy. Mm. And over time, they feel a bit better. So, um, right, yeah. Um, so my fertility will be in, you can get me in Junior Hollywood. If, you know, fertility is the main reason. But certainly if there's other things, operations or pregnancy and such, I'm in Mount Lolly and um, Subiaco St. John's. Um, I do operation in Hollywood Private Hospital, so I'm everywhere. So, um, you know, my, my website can get in touch with me very easily. Yes, yeah. yes, and we'll link to your website in the show notes as well, Thanks. for sure. Um, so I think we'll wrap it up there. This has been absolutely fantastic, and I'm sure that all of our listeners have just received so much information, um, and hopefully you're taking notes, but if you weren't, We will be linking to lots of information in the show notes and you can find lots more about Ju and his work at his website, which is Ju? Jutio.com.au Fantastic. So thanks very much. (laughs) Thank you both of you. I'm sure we will be working together much more in the near future. Thank you, Ju. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We're really grateful for the time you spent with us and can't wait to do it again. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hop over to Apple Podcasts or Facebook and leave us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch, 
please reach out to us via the Nourish, Nurture, Breathe Facebook or Instagram pages and check out nourishnurturebreathe.com for our show notes. Thank you and until next time, remember to nourish, nurture and breathe every day.